Welcome to Medical Minefield, where we talk about the ethical dilemmas at the heart of the health stories that matter the most. I'm Barney Kalman, the health editor at The Mail on Sunday, and with me is The Mail on Sunday's deputy health editor, Eve Sittmans. Hello. This week, we're talking about the great child vaccine debate that seems to be ongoing. We'd love to know your thoughts. Should kids have the vaccine or not? You can contact us as ever on Twitter using the hashtag Medical Minefield. For me, I'd say having the vaccine was a no-brainer. I didn't think about it at all. I couldn't wait, to be honest. As soon as we started you know, writing about this... 800 years ago, it seems. <laughs> In 1955, <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I would have, you know, I would have had it right there. And then I, I have total faith that any medicine that's passed these days, yeah, there were scandals in the past and that was awful mm. and scary. But I have complete faith in the medical trial process now. I wasn't, I just don't worry about the downsides of these things because they're, they're always so small vaccines. But you had a different risk profile. So I'm 41 and, you know, we are hearing stories about unvaccinated 41-year-olds now Mm. ending up very ill in hospital. Mm. You know, I wouldn't even want to have a bad flu-like illness personally if I could avoid it. I mean, I know people much younger than me that have had horrible, horrible COVID symptoms and, you know, lasting breath problems, breathing problems. So, I mean, but for you, there was this whole worry about risks. Yeah, because I actually turned 30 just as they changed the rules um, with the AstraZeneca vaccine. So I wasn't allowed to have, um, well, it kind of changed. I wasn't allowed to have the AstraZeneca vaccine and then I was allowed to have it. I had Pfizer anyway. But I thought about it probably more than a normal rational person because I am, as you know, Barney, I'm always um, constantly <laughs> haunted by a sense of impending doom and the worst situation is going to happen to oh, me. Really? Um, so uh, I obviously thought that I'd be the one with the terrible blood clot and would end up in hospital and might die. But I had to push those thoughts out of my head because I know that they are very irrational and statistically it's much more likely I'd get COVID and get very ill and be unhappy. But did you say in your mind you'd weighed up that risk and benefit and you'd thought, actually, I'm scared of getting ill with COVID than yes. I am of this? I have to ignore the irrational, emotional thing and, you know, the rational... Uh, statistical, logical calculations are absolutely, of course, in the vaccine's favour. So I went with that. But we're all expected to do these risk-benefit analyses when we take a medicine, or we should do. I think a lot of the time we don't think about the risks of medicines and all medicines have side effects. This week, we've been talking to 16 and 17-year-olds who are the latest group to have been included in the vaccine rollout It surprised some people when the JCVI announced this last week because just a few weeks before, they'd said that this group and younger teenagers weren't going to get the vaccine because the risks outweighed the benefits. And that's obviously completely changed. What has in fact changed, and they didn't maybe explain this very well, is that the initial ruling was based on data that they'd gathered at the beginning of June. And now millions of kids all over the world have had the vaccine. So they know much more about, certainly in terms of having a first dose, that this age group, this older teenage age group, is in fact not really at risk from... It was a rare complication, this this heart problem. This Myocarditis, slight, I think. Mm, 
But you've been talking to 16, 17-year-olds this week who have clearly absorbed some of this and decided that they'd rather get COVID. Yes, they've they've worked out the risks versus benefits and decided that the benefits of COVID outweigh the um, the benefits of the vaccine, which is interesting. And the benefits of COVID would be developing natural immunity. Developing natural immunity, which some of them think would be stronger and better and they wouldn't be risking taking a vaccine, which they are slightly untrusting of, mm. which is really interesting. And, and also there is this kind of sense that from the very beginning they have been told, some of them told me that this was said to them in school even, that they were very, very low risk from COVID and there was absolutely no chance that they'd get very ill and that they shouldn't really pay much attention to all of the reports in the media about older people becoming very sick because that didn't apply to them. Because it, it doesn't really. Well, yes, yeah, statistically it doesn't. So they're thinking, well, why should I take this medical intervention to prevent an illness which is essentially going to be like a cold, if it even is that anyway? I mean, when the initial JCVI ruling came out, I started speaking to paediatricians and I was surprised that many of them weren't shocked by this kind of point of view. And Professor Robert Dingwall, who is uh, one of the government sage advisors, he's a behavioural psychologist, I believe, but has opinions on lots of things Mm -hmm. Um, and well respected, I'd say. He wrote a Twitter thread at the beginning of June when the rollouts began in other countries saying that it would be better to allow herd immunity to happen by encouraging natural infection in young people who just weren't going to get ill from COVID. But, uh, you know, the odds were that they would be absolutely fine. And I guess I had expected that I'd speak to the paediatricians and they would be appalled by this but they actually weren't and felt it was very understandable and it's a subtle argument but I guess now and what's changed in the last week that they feel on balance it now is better for this 16 17 year old age group to get the vaccine it but it's it's a difficult concept to grasp and I think we've been asked to grasp many difficult scientific concepts over the past 16, 17 months. And uh, I I think this is the latest one that's going to, you know, people really need to get their head round. I think certainly what I'm hearing from teenagers and their parents is that they don't feel that it's been explained to them why that U-turn decision has been made. So Mm. one minute... Well, it's presented as a U-turn. Yeah. it's. I mean, it's science. It's evolving science, isn't it? We've collected more data, but that's not really been shown in a kind of clear, understandable way. Um, And instead, all we've seen is one minute, the risks are too high um, and don't outweigh the benefits. Mm. And the next minute, these risks kind of seemingly vanish. Of course, that's not how it works. But they don't buy that. They think, well, the risks haven't just disappeared overnight. And you're now telling me to inject my child with this thing. Of course, it's not that simple. But I think first off, we should speak to one of these teenagers and find out what they're thinking. On the line now is Jonathan Brooks, who is a 17 year old and lives with his parents in Somerset. Jonathan, why have you decided not to have the vaccine? Um, it's a matter of principle. It's not that I don't particularly want it or even need it. It's because of vaccine passports. I find vaccine passports as an idea a liberal, unpalatable, discriminatory and wrong to, 
to quote Nadim Zahawi. So if they, you know, backtrack on vaccine passports, I will have the vaccine. But until, you know, vaccine passports are gone, I won't be having it out of principle. And when we spoke um, a little bit earlier, you told me that a lot of your friends have decided they don't want it and that they think that actually they'd rather just get COVID instead. Why is that? Well, young people over the past year, over a year, have been told they aren't at large risk. They don't particularly need the vaccine. Matt Hancock was saying, I think it might have been in the House of Parliament, could be wrong, that this is an adult vaccine for adults. And the inconsistencies of the government have really shot them have really shot themselves in the foot because they've harmed their credibility with young people. Young people can't trust the government. So if they really want to get young people to take the vaccine, I'm not saying it's particularly an ethical idea, but they could offer to pay off their tuition fees, for example. Encourage young people to take it. I don't think they should be coerced to take it. I think that's a that's a very um, very interesting idea. But do you not think that that is also coercion slightly? Yeah, it is. It is coercion to an extent. I saw one university was offering a cash prize of something it's, like a thousand pounds. It's my former university. Oh, is it? Yeah. What What do you think about that? Don't get me wrong; that would be effective. But I think people do need to make their own choices about the vaccine whether or not they want to take it, need to take it. I know that I probably should take it, and I definitely will. I will take it if the government rolls back on vaccine passports. And if you, ta- if you give people the right information and you don't patronise them, like the government's been doing to young people, people for over a year now, they'll make the right decision for themselves. Do you think, on balance, it would be better to develop natural immunity to covid by catching it than having a vaccine? I'm not sure because, quite frankly, I don't know. I've had COVID. I haven't had it. I haven't caught it since. I haven't tested positive since. But that was the original strain. With the newer variants, I've seen that they aren't as pleasant. So if you were to go that, you know, that route of catching COVID, you might not fare so well. So maybe the vaccine is the better choice for most people. It probably is. But um, in terms of safety from natural immunity of the vaccine, I don't know enough about that to say whether, say which is best. Would you say that your friends kind of, and, and your age group, would you say that's the general feeling amongst your age group, that natural immunity is better? Yeah. I think they think that way because they've seen other people catch it, like myself, they haven't and haven't caught it again, haven't gotten ill from it again. And I get that. And some people, you know, they don't like taking vaccines that they feel they don't need. And I completely get that. But the risk of COVID, let's say, is higher for um, young people in terms of long COVID compared to the actual risk of getting ill from COVID. Because, you know, you might not get severe symptoms of COVID-19 if you're a young person, but that doesn't stop you from getting long COVID. There's still that risk. And you don't want something like that debilitating yourself, debilitating you at such a young age. So while I think 
people should make their own informed choices. I do think some young people still need to take the vaccine. What is it about the vaccine passport that you so object to? I mean, my understanding is it's it's not simply for travel that the and I've I've seen it already that the nightclubs and you know parties and all, all kinds of things are saying they want proof of vaccination or you have to have a covid test beforehand. And I guess to go to these you're you're having your your covid test beforehand and you intend to continue that for as long as as long as this continues. Yeah, I mean with vaccine passports, there's numerous reasons as to why I would disagree with them as the government's proposed them. I think they're costly. I think they're unworkable. To put the onus onto small business owners and nightclub staff is ridiculous because, you know, they are going to have to deal with abuse from people, sadly, because there will be people who respond badly to vaccine passports. And it's costly because you've got to pay those people to stand on the door to enforce them. You've got the impracticalities. If someone, even if they've had the vaccine, they can still test positive for COVID. And also discriminatory because what about people who've got antibodies? You're forcing them to get the vaccine when they might feel they might want, they might need it. I'm not saying whether they do or do not. But you're basically saying anyone who in society who is not vaccinated cannot enter these premises. And I think it's one thing for businesses to enforce that of their own accord. And I think it's another for the government to, afford, to enforce it for them. Are you going off to university next year? Or is it, is it uh, have you got another year to go? I'm going to university in September. Ah, I mean, presumably there's going to be all kinds of uh, requirements uh, coming up for you. Are you daunted by that at all, being unvaccinated? I mean, I've got faith that the government will do the right thing. And then if they fail to do the right thing, Parliament will hold them accountable. But, you know, it's at my expense for the most part, if I don't get vaccinated under these current circumstances, I am slightly, I do find it slightly daunting. Absolutely. Because it might, it probably will affect my social life to some extent or another. But to me, it's a matter of principle. I don't want to capitulate to the government on vaccine passports and compromise on my principles. I think it's very impressive, Jonathan, that, you know, at the age of 17, you've got these these very strong principles. But it does seem that, that your principles, you know, you understand that possibly the risk of getting COVID might be greater um, for you. It could Absolutely. compromise your health and your social life. And yet, you know, your principle is kind of, you know, s- not serving you in the best way. <laughs> I'm, the, I'm the same. I won't be told. I agree. <laughs> do you, I agree. Do you think that's, that's, yeah, how do you feel about that? <laughs> I mean, I, I do agree with you because, as I said earlier, young people, they might not get too ill from COVID, but they can still get long COVID. And if I get long COVID because I haven't had the vaccine, despite having antibodies, so there's still a chance, and that's on me and me alone. Um, and I but you feel the risk, risk is worth it? The risk is worth it for do you? Do I think the risk is worth it? I'm not sure. Although I know that vaccine passports... I find abhorrent enough not to get vaccinated simply to um, more or less boycott them. 
And I mean, sure, there's probably there's probably other ways I could go about this. Maybe getting vaccinated and then claiming exemption from vaccine passports. I don't think that would be much of a compromise. Maybe I should. Mm. Jonathan, can I ask your parents vaccinated? Yeah. What do they think about your stance? They're not particularly worried. They haven't said anything to me. They both know I've caught COVID. They've both caught COVID themselves. And I had it back in January last year and my mother caught it from me. Were you tested? Did you get a, te- a positive test in January? This was, this was January 2020. I had all of the symptoms. I was quite ill. Um, obviously, there was no testing at the time. And we hardly had any testing capacity anyway, not long after. But I took an antibody test. And yeah, I did have it. So you'd say that your parents are supportive of your making your own decisions? Basically. I think they're neutral, really. I think they're supported, supportive of me making my own decisions, absolutely. But I think if they do feel that my, my own decisions would be too harmful to myself or would put myself at too high a risk, they would tell me. And I think that, I think that would be the right thing to do. But I don't think this is putting me at, at too high a risk. Have you always been the kind of teenager that sticks to your principles and, and goes left instead of right when everyone else is going right? To an extent, yeah. I mean, in terms of left instead of going right, I'll go right if it's the right way. But to me anyway. But I think it's important to stick by your principles. If you have principles, it means you believe in something. And it means, you know, you've got something to live by. Because people have all forms of principles. They have ideology, they have faith. Mine is just basic principles. Well, Jonathan, it's been great to hear from you. Uh, I really do admire um, a man with principles. So um, well done (laughs) and best of luck with everything. Brilliant. Thank you. I have to say one thing I wasn't expecting to hear was someone who had parents who were vaccinated who had made a different decision there was something in my mind that was thinking when we we started doing this story that it would be it would be the kids of of anti-vaxxers who had somehow soaked up their parents fears and and i mean a bit like phobias you always you always Mm. you catch phobias off your parents Mm. apparently so if you see your mum uh you know standing on a chair and screaming every time she sees a spider as a child when you're when you're growing up it's very formative and you you develop these phobias Mm. yourself that's how it happens and so often you know political views are off are shared down the generations as well but that's obviously not the case no. In, in all instances here. A young man with very strong opinions. But you have spoken to people. I have. It It does seem, are... you know, I, I, yeah, I'll be honest, there is quite a bit of that. I wouldn't say the parents are necessarily anti-vaxxers, but I think some of them have been tried to be very sensible and not pass their opinions down to their children. And what they do, they do, and their children can make up their own mind. And the children, lo and behold, come to the same decision. Mm. Um, so the parents haven't been vaccinated The children aren't vaccinated, yes, or don't want to be vaccinated. Interestingly, I spoke to one mother yesterday who told me that her 14-year-old is much more frightened than her older son in fact is petrified and is scared that her mother is going to change her mind and have the vaccine and her daughter is is watching these scaremongering videos on TikTok these awful kind of fake news videos Oh that excellent source of scientific information (laughs) (laughs) Yes Um, which the mother never thought to question apparently the daughter shows her these videos and she thinks that they're terrible and and, uh, isn't it brilliant that she decided not to have the jab 
So, yes, I think there is a bit of that. But then you also get kids like Jonathan who have come to their own conclusion. Mm. And in the face, as he says, of uh, mixed messages coming Mm. from, or what seems like mixed messages coming from the medical world and government. Next, I think we should speak to someone who really knows the facts about child COVID vaccination and also the risks that COVID poses to youngsters. We're joined now by Dr Liz Whitaker, who is an expert in paediatric infectious diseases at the uh, Royal College of Paediatrics and Child Health. Thanks very much for finding some time to talk to us. Liz, today we're hearing from teenagers who have made up their own minds that they'd rather get COVID than have a vaccine. Say I was that 16 or 17-year-old, what would you say to me? Um, thanks, Barney. So I think what I what I always say to people who are wondering whether it's the right thing or not to get a vaccine is to say it's absolutely um, really important that you make a choice by yourself about whether or not you want to have any medicine or a vaccine. But what's really key is that you understand why we're offering the vaccine, what the risks are of um, not having the vaccine and of having the vaccine, what the benefits are of having the vaccine and not having the vaccine. Um, to make sure that they have all the facts at their fingertips when they're making that decision rather than making it out of a kind of an emotional feeling, but making sure it's based on facts. Let's break that down. Could you explain to me what the risks of not having the vaccine are? Sure. So I guess when we talk about why you give a vaccine, it's, it's to provide protection from an infection or a disease. Um, and the risks of COVID in the age groups that we're talking about, I guess kind of 16 to 18 year olds, is is very low for severe disease and death. So it's probably about one in uh, one and a half million of deaths. Um, and uh, the risk of ending up in hospital with an infection is probably about 0.05 to 1%, depending on other risk factors, whether other um, medical problems or not. But we, we know that that's with the virus causing a pneumonia. And then there's a very, very small risk um, of about uh, one in 5,000 of getting a complication if they get the virus after something called paediatric inflammatory multisystem syndrome, which can make you very unwell for a few days, um, but being in hospital and having potential heart problems, which tend to get better. So they make a full recovery, but it, you are quite unwell in that period. And um, so those are the risks of infection. And what would the risks of having the vaccine be for this age group then? So I think, and it's important to put this in context, because I I think as a young person, it's been a really confusing time because they weren't prioritised for the vaccine initially. And that's because those risks of severe disease and death are so low that we wanted to be certain that the vaccine was safe. And we wanted to prioritise older people who had a, a higher risk of ending up in intensive care and being unwell and whilst we got more information about the younger people. So what we know now is that there is a risk of probably one in 15,000 that when you have the vaccine, you have a little bit of inflammation of your heart. It's called myocarditis if they read about it. And what we know from vaccinating millions of young people in America is that that myocarditis tends to be relatively mild and settles down within a few days um, and gets better quickly. Um, when we first heard about the heart inflammation, we were a bit concerned and we wanted to wait and get more information 
before we recommended the vaccine in this age group. Um, and so I think for these for these young people who are hearing all these kind of really scary things, they should be reassured that in, in the UK we have waited to get all the information and the details of exactly what that heart inflammation was before recommending the vaccine for those young people. Because these risks are very small, it's understandable, I think, that some young people may have weighed up in their mind and thought... I'd rather just get COVID. And I, I know that there are experts out there that have suggested that for a young person who has such a low risk of illness from COVID, developing natural immunity would be preferable or at least just the, a fine thing to do. What, what do you say to that? I think, it's a, I think it's a really fine balance. I think that there is the direct benefits of the vaccine in terms of knowing of, about the virus and what we know the virus causes in the acute period and that first time, first weeks after you get the virus. And then I think increasingly people are worried about the longer term effects of the virus and we hear about young people who have other things like long COVID. What we don't know for certain yet is whether having the vaccine will protect you from getting long COVID, but there is some early information that suggests that may be true. And so that might be an additional benefit of having the vaccine. And then the other thing that's really important in, and one of the reasons why we're so keen to get young adults vaccinated is because of ongoing transmission um, and the impact that the pandemic has on your life in general. So it's not just that period where you have the infection, but it's the fact that whilst we have high levels of infection, there are mitigations to manage in the community. That's the social distancing and the closing of schools and the closing of universities and the online lessons, as well as the impact that has on the broader community in terms of financial impact. And so I think there are it's it's not necessarily a decision making factor, but it's something to bear in mind as part of that decision that as soon as we get control of the virus and the vaccine is a really powerful tool to do that, then life in general under the pandemic becomes easier. Liz, but some people have, have said that, um, some of the young people I've spoken to have said that they understand this idea about protecting other people, but they say that the vulnerable people will be vaccinated already, so they're already protected, so why do they need to get vaccinated to protect other people? So there are, that's the, the majority of adults are really, and we're really lucky in the UK, we have amazing vaccine coverage. Um, so we have about 75% of the adult population is fully vaccinated now. But unfortunately, there is a group of um, adults and obviously children who have conditions whereby they do not respond properly to the vaccine. So those who have cancer and are receiving treatment for their cancer or who have you know, chronic problems with their kidneys or their livers or their lungs and are on treatments for those, they may not be able to mount an appropriate immune response to the vaccine. Um, and so that group will remain vulnerable throughout. Um, and in fact, that it makes up those people, make up a large proportion of the people we're seeing in intensive care at the moment. Their bodies weren't able to mount a protective immune response. So they will always be vulnerable people. But I don't think we should be, you know, it shouldn't be a, a kind of, we shouldn't expect our young to be completely altruistic. I think it's great that they're selfless, but they do also need to think about themselves as well. But I think that the the more people are vaccinated in the community, the sooner everything improves for everyone and not just thinking about individuals' protection because of the virus. It is the overall... Life has been very strange for the last year to 18 months. And actually, we've seen more young people with mental health problems because of not being able to go to school and do normal things and their hobbies and seeing their friends 
then we've seen people with COVID. And I think that that's a reason in its own right to try and get back to a bit of normality, to consider getting vaccinated because it will bring community rates down as well. And I wonder if that's something that might be a motivation as well. Something that we've heard as well is that this has created some divisions in young people, that there are young people that don't want to be vaccinated and there are those that feel that those who don't want to be vaccinated are irresponsible. Something that JCVI has done, which is different from other countries, is a very is, is what they're calling a stepwise approach. So in July, they said that it was just youngsters who were vulnerable to the virus or, or those that lived with someone who was vulnerable to the virus now it's 16 and 17-year-olds and who are healthy as well. I mean, we can only assume at some point a younger age group will be brought into that. Do you think that because of that and because each time we're saying we're doing this because or we're not offering it to a wider group because we're not sure whether the risks of vaccination outweigh the benefits, actually instead of of, uh, encouraging confidence, you're actually seeding this idea in people's minds, in a minority of people's minds, that the vaccine's actually not safe. And so you're creating a kind of subgroup of hesitant youngsters in this case. I think that's a really good point. And I think there is a risk that some people will be hesitant because why have you waited? What were you worried about? Is there something you're not telling us? That's what I might feel if I was a young person. But I would... Uh, say that it's our job as health professionals and the media to to go do things like this, this communication, to have these discussions. And I would say on the contrary, it should be reassuring that we're looking at the evidence so closely and so carefully and taking our time to be certain that's the right decision. That should be reassuring for these young people and their families to say that we're not rushing in. We have the luxury of being able to look at the data for about 9 million young people in the USA who've had this vaccine and can say with real certainty, actually, the risk of problems with the vaccine is extremely low and therefore the benefit of the vaccine becomes much greater. And I think that's, I really want to to get that message across. And I'm always really happy to go and do school assemblies and talk to young people about this because it's so important that they have faith in the people who are making decisions about their health. And I just wanted to pick up what you said about people judging people for decisions they make about their health. Everyone's decision is very individual. And I would hate for this to become something that was stigmatizing, that some people were saying, oh, you're terrible for not doing it, or you're terrible for doing it. Everyone should be able to make a decision in their own right about what they're worried about without anybody else giving them a hard time. We've spoken quite a few times over the past few weeks about child vaccination for COVID. And I would say that I started out thinking we should just roll it out, all kids, give it to everyone, blanket coverage, it would be great. But you've really won me over in our conversations. You all helped me understand, I suppose, why this approach is is a good idea. And something that you pointed out to me last week, which I thought was really, really important, was that children here are also highly protected by the adult population who has been vaccinated. So we don't have a situation in America, for instance, where a lot of, unfortunately, a lot of youngsters are being hospitalised. So, you know, another thing, and I know that your colleague, Professor Adam Finn, has pointed out that adults must keep getting vaccinated in order to protect children. I think so. It's what we were talking about was the admissions of young people with the Delta variant in southern U.S. states such as Tennessee, Texas and Louisiana, 
where the adult vaccine coverage is only about 30%. And so they are seeing, even if a number, if, a, if it's only a tiny percentage of young people who get admitted, if millions of people get infected, that number becomes a significant number. Um, and so the decision about when is the right time, when is the benefit risk ratio changes under those circumstances. So if everybody is getting the virus, then the benefit vaccine becomes greater and, and outweighs the risk. Whereas in our setting, where 75% of the adult population is vaccinated, even though we've had a really, you know, we've just had a delta wave, the number of admissions of young people has remained relatively low. Um, and that is thanks to all the adults who've had the vaccines. And I think that as we as we go through it, I agree with you, I think it's likely that the 12 to 16-year-olds will be offered the vaccine within the next, you know, few months as we get more reassuring data on the safety in that age group. Uh, and I think that, you know, if these were my children, I have a 21-year-old stepson who's had the vaccine. Um, my younger children are eight. When, when the time comes, I will give them the vaccine because I know that the decision will have been made with the best evidence. But we are fortunate that adults have taken on the vaccine so well in the UK. So thank you to all of them. Well, look, thanks so much for explaining everything so clearly. And fingers crossed, young people will make the right decisions for themselves. Yes. And I think that young people throughout this pandemic actually have have really surprised people. And I don't think they should have been surprised. As a paediatrician, we know that the young people that we see are really thoughtful, really caring. They've taken on masks in schools. They've you know done online learning. They've had really challenging exam results. And they've done it all with such grace. And I think that our young people should be applauded, really. Hi. Sorry to interrupt your listening, but there's another great podcast from the Mail on Sunday you might want to try. Liz Jones's Diary, The Podcast, offering a weekly look into the life of Britain's most unfiltered columnist. That's me. Find us at mailplus.co.uk. See, I think the way that Dr. Whitaker explained that is perfectly clear to me. But the problem is it's nuanced and it's complicated and that hasn't been communicated properly to the general public. So you've got people who are thinking, why is the message different for 16 to 17 year olds than there is for the adult population who are being pushed to get their vaccine? And there's all kinds of comparatives going on with other countries, which I think muddies the water. It's difficult to get your head around why kids in America would be so much more at risk from COVID right now. The rumours are that the FDA, the regulators in America, are just about to bring forward approval Mm. for the vaccine for five to 11-year-olds. And it may even be for the two to four-year-olds or whatever it is, the next youngest age bracket, because the situation there with children is so dire... And so few adults are accepting the vaccine in many of these states. They're going to have to do something. You know, we're going to be way behind them in doing that because our kids just aren't at risk in that way. You really can't compare the two countries now. But it's a logical, it's a seemingly rational comparison to make when you see what's going on. Mm. Anyone would think, okay, well, this is the Delta variant, which we have here. Yeah. And it's it's ending up um, putting children in hospital and the same is going to happen here. And they're at risk. But obviously, when you unpick it, you understand yeah. that it's complicated. I mean, we, we haven't seen it now. Mm. Something that you see with this uh, PIMS condition, the, the inflammatory, the multi-inflammatory mm. condition 
is a, a longer lag that you can have quite mild COVID and then five, six weeks later you can develop this. And we've only had a very small number of those cases in the UK. Very small. So 0.03%, I believe, risk. Mm. Whereas in America it's a 3% risk in some of these southern states. It's very sobering. It shows the power of adult vaccination. It really does. It really does. We'd love to hear your thoughts on childhood vaccinations. Please do get in touch with us and let us know by contacting us on Twitter using the hashtag Medical Minefield. That is all we've got time for this week. You'll find all the latest health news in this weekend's The Mail on Sunday and visit mailplus.co.uk forward slash subscribe to get access to all our podcast videos, opinion pieces and more. You can also follow us on Twitter by searching at mailplus. We'll be back with another topic on Medical Minefield next week. See you then. Goodbye. Goodbye.